uh, for this morning, um, we're going to do a, a special Christmas message uh, on this on this Christmas Eve service. And again, Merry Christmas to everyone's here. And uh, before we do that, I have some uh, three friends that are going to help me with something. Where are my three friends? Okay, so we have three friends here, and they have three gifts. Can you imagine what those three gifts are? Do you know them? Ready? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That's right. And so we have here the three wise men or three wise guys or wise lady here. Okay. And they have helped. And we're going to be learning today about uh, the three wise men and this interesting part of the Christmas story that we're going to look at. And so, yes, we have of gold here, the menorah, but the gold. And then over here, we actually in these boxes are different scents from the, the Bible. We have myrrh, frankincense, and a spikenard is in here as well. And so this all comes from the Holy Land. So what a blessing. So thank you, my three wise men. The only thing I didn't see was their camels, you know. So, <laughs> But uh, anyways, I invite you to turn with me in the Bible to the book of Matthew chapter 2. If you need a Bible, there should be some in the pew in front of you as well. And uh, we're in the New Testament, uh, the first book of the New Testament in the book of Matthew chapter 2. Uh, again, as we think about the Christmas season, uh, the Bible passages comes to our minds. Luke 2, is, for example, is a great one. It came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. I remember memorizing that when I was, oh, probably, probably Peter's age, for sure, and uh, memorizing the Christmas story. And uh, the point of the passage is this, that for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior which is Christ the Lord. That is the message of Christmas. And I pray that today that we will not lose the message of Christmas. But today, my challenges for us today is that we would indeed worship the King, worship the King. As we sang just a moment ago, we sang a song called We Three Kings. And the little interesting story behind that familiar Christmas carol. The original title of it was called Three Kings of Orient. Doesn't have the same ring, does it? Also known as We Three Kings of Orient are, or the Quest of the Magi. So, and then we know it best by simply We Three Kings. So it actually has had four different titles to this song. It's a Christmas carol that was written by John Henry Hopkins Jr. in 1857. He was a, um, a leader in the Episcopal Church in Pennsylvania, and he actually wrote this uh, carol for a Christmas pageant, a Christmas program uh, at the seminary that he was at in New York City. And believe it or not, that this was the first widely popular Christmas carol written in America, was We Three Kings. I think that's kind of interesting. And as you think of all the verses that we sang here just a moment ago, actually each one is a familiar story. According to the We Three Kings, and we're going to kind of look at the, the facts and myths, if you will, of the, of the We Three Kings story, but nonetheless, as, as we think about that, we look at the three, uh, three gifts that are bringing. Born a king, um, Bethlehem's, uh, Bethlehem's plain. Gold I bring to crown him again. That was number one. The second verse is talking about frankincense. And then the next verse is about myrrh. So each verse talks about each of the three gifts that are there. Traditionally, there are three magi that are represented. One is Caspar, Melchior, and Balthazar. Those are the names that are given to them, okay? So, but nonetheless, here's another interesting thing. If you're a musician or you like music, this might interest you. John Henry Hopkins Jr., the man who uh, organized the carol, he, he did it in such a way that three male voices 
would sing a solo verse to correspond with the three, th th three kings. So in other words, one male would sing one of those verses representing the three kings. So that was done in the play. I think that's interesting. Maybe we'll do that next time we sing it, Dave. We'll just have three different guys sing the three different verses, and we'll just look at each other wondering who's going to do it, right? <laughs> okay. And, but as, as you look at that, the first and the last verses of the carol are sung together as verses of praise. And so, anyways, as it is done here, that the Magi solos are typically not observed during uh, contemporary performances days. So that's how it was originally set and originally purposed back in 1857. Today, we just simply sing it or listen to it. Okay, so, but what is the three kings all about? And this is what I want to bring us our attention to today. And let's look at scripture. I think this is this. How well do you know the story of the wise men? How well do you know the story of the wise men? It's an interesting part. Here in front of me, we have a nativity. Maybe you have one uh, of these in your own home where you've seen in a family member's home. Uh, in other words, these, these are familiar scenes that we have at Christmas time. And to remind us of the story of the Christ child that was born on, on Christmas Day. And we always have here the three kings. And sure enough, we do have three kings that are on this nativity that are here in front of me. But I think I, I want us to challenge our thinking, for example, that perhaps we know the Christmas story better, more from Christmas cards or even Christmas songs for that matter. But do we really know the Christmas story according to what's written in the Bible, where the story really comes from? And so I want us to challenge that. Don't just take what you see on a Christmas card as simply that's the way it happened. Okay, let me hear. Let's get, let's be a little bit more lighter at this moment here. For example, you think of uh, that jolly old elf, Saint Nicholas. Okay, or Santa Claus, that we know him better. How do we know that he had a red suit? Because that's all you probably have seen him like that, right? It was actually a um, an artist in Harper's Weekly that painted him in a red suit, and it was by Coca-Cola that made him ubiquitous that Santa Claus wears red. But up until the 1880s or so, we don't know what he wore before that. Was Santa Claus a real person? Well, it goes back to the legend of St. Nicholas, of in, who was a, um, a bishop, a church leader in, in modern-day Turkey uh, back in the 4th century. So there's a, there's a historical approach to that. But it's interesting. It's inter what we see on Christmas cards or hearing Christmas songs does not always match up to what we read in the Bible. But I think we, we gain some benefit, though, a great benefit, eternal benefit, when we see the Scripture written for what it is. And so I want us to look at we three kings. So by looking at the Bible, I believe that we are compelled to join the wise men to worship the king. And that's the title of today's message is simply worship the king. Worship the king, the Christ. If you're in Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1, Matthew 2, starting in verse 1. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art now the least of the, among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again 
that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented with unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. As we look at this passage here, our, our, what we are compelled to do is do exactly what the wise men did to worship the king. There are really three areas that we're going to look at today uh, in this story. We're going to look at the invitation of worship. We're going to look at the test of worship. There is a test that's involved in worshiping. And then also the joy of worship as, as well. And that's really the message that we see here from, from Matthew chapter 2. So the invitation for, for worship starts out here again in verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. Okay, by knowing that, our minds go back to that silent night, if you will. It came upon a midnight clear while shepherds watched their flocks by night. We think of all the Christmas carols and how it's setting our mind and our place for that special Christmas season. Remember the angels came to the shepherds, again said, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. What a blessing that was that night. And of course, they, the shepherds came and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. What a blessing it was that Christmas day. Well, now we kind of skip ahead to a while. There's a, there's a question we have here at the nativity scene even. You have everyone here together. You have Mary and Joseph and Jesus, the angels, the shepherds, and even the wise men. But I will say this, is, is this how it happened, what you see before me? Probably not, okay? Because the wise men, according to this text, came uh, at least a little bit later, if nothing else. It, probably it was at least several weeks later, months, maybe even over a year later. We really don't know for sure, but it, there's a couple clues in the, in the text here that mentions that this was a little bit after the time that Jesus was born. And we know this, that they came bearing gifts, well, let me ask you this. Maybe you're here today. You've gotten Christmas presents or order them online from Amazon or wherever else. And how many said they're not going to be here in time? Do you have some like that? Yeah, we ordered some said, yeah, they're not going to be here in time for Christmas. So think of it this way. If you are feeling guilty of not having your Christmas presents on time, don't worry because Jesus packages were delayed as well. Okay? So think of it that way. All right? So nonetheless... Here we are in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is interesting. It's a small little town. It's grown considerably today, but by the time of Jesus, there was only maybe just a couple hundred people that lived in Bethlehem at the time of Christ. Bethlehem itself sits about six or seven miles just southeast of Jerusalem, and uh, you can go there today. Today it's under the Palestinian Authority, uh, but you can still still go there today uh, and, and to see that. There's a, the church in the Nativity that commemorates the place where Jesus was born and uh, where he lived at least a little bit of his life there in Judea. But nonetheless, why was he there? It's interesting. Jesus was there, and Bethlehem is interesting. The name Bethlehem itself has great meaning. In Hebrew, you say Beit Lechem. Beit Lechem. Beit means house. Lechem means bread or house of bread. He who was born in the house of bread became the bread of life for us. A beautiful picture that we see here. But it's interesting, the highlight that Matthew gives here, he was born in the Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Herod the king. Now, who exactly is Herod? This is a Herod known as Herod the Great. And he actually reigned in that area for a, a, quite a long time. He was 
not exactly Jewish. He was not exactly Roman. He was Edomian. He was an Edomite. Uh, and, uh, but nonetheless, he rose to power there. And uh, Herod was not uh, necessarily a nice guy. In fact, it was um, Octavian who said that uh, it was safer to be Herod's pig than to be Herod's son because he had a longer chance of living, okay? Because he killed many of his own family members, even killed one of his wives. Uh, he was very paranoid about power and who was in control. But Herod was also a masterful architect. He actually built the temple that was in Jerusalem during the time of Jesus. Actually, by the time Jesus was born through his lifetime, the temple was actually under construction during that time. Uh, Herod also builds Masada. He builds Caesarea Martima. He builds uh, the Herodium, many different places that were astounding. And so uh, he was a masterful architect, but he was a nut. Okay, that's the best way to say it, if, if you're ready into his history. And so Herod here is the king, the ruler in, his, in a way, under the Roman province. But anyways, he is the ruler here in Judea, in this area. And this is the setting that we have here. And I want to say one thing that's interesting. When the wise men come now, now we enter in the wise men. Behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. So we call them wise men. Uh, the, the word, the Greek word that's used here is magoi or magi. That's where we get the word magi. And the word magi were ones that were basically astrologers and astronomers. They followed the stars. And it says that they were from the east to Jerusalem. And so there's a couple theories. We don't know for sure where they came from exactly. But there's a couple ideas. One that they came from Babylon, the area of Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq or along the Tigris and Euphrates River. And uh, so they could have come from there. Another idea is that they were Persian, uh, that they would become from Iraq and Iran from this area. And also they were following the star. They were astronomers or astrologers that followed uh, this star to Bethlehem. And then there's a third aspect as well, that they were from Arabia as well. Uh, they were from Arabia. And there's some different uh, texts in the Old Testament that kind of highlight that possibility as well. But nonetheless, they came from the east and they came to Jerusalem. It's interesting. It says here in verse 2, And they said to Herod, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star of the east and have come to worship him. Now, I want you to put yourself in their sandals for a moment. If you ask that question, where is the king of the Jews? Wait a minute, you're talking to the king <laughs> of that region, okay, who was very paranoid, who did not like it. Right now, at the end of at this passage here, you're at the end of Herod's life, by the way. He dies in about the year 4 uh, BC, okay? And so as, as they're talking to Herod, Herod's very paranoid. He doesn't want anyone to usurp his power. I don't care how old they are, baby or grown-up. He didn't want that, that competition, if you will. And so I think there's an interesting aspect right now here in Matthew, in this gospel here, where uh, they say, where is he born king of the Jews? They're referring to Jesus, the Christ child. I want you to think as well, hold your mind's spot right here in Matthew 2 and go in your mind to the end of Matthew and you see the, uh, Jesus at his crucifixion. When Jesus was put on the cross, there was a sign that was put above the cross and it said in Greek, Hebrew, and Latin, it says the what? Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And so in Matthew's gospel, this is a bookend of it, if you will. Here we are introduced to the king of the Jews. And if you don't believe that he's king, you can actually go to Matthew chapter 1 and see his lineage, that Jesus comes from the line of David himself, King David. What a blessing that is. But at the very end of the gospel, we're presented with Jesus as the king of the Jews, but on the cross. And yet, in both places, we are compelled to worship him. 
So again, by looking at the Bible, we're compelled to join the wise men to worship the king. The third thing we see here is this, that there was a star. It says, we, we're looking for the king of the Jews, Jesus, for we have seen his star in the east and come to worship him. And again, there's some d- debate on what this star actually was, if this was a uh, celestial phenomenon, per se, if, there was, if this was Jupiter and Saturn lined up in a special way. We don't really know. But what we do know is this, that it definitely stood out and it guided these wise men to this place. But interesting, it didn't bring them to Bethlehem. They instead make a trip to Jerusalem. They're a little off. Ever have a GPS system that didn't work, work uh, quite right and you ended up somewhere you didn't think you were? Well, you're off just a little bit, okay? They come to Jerusalem. They're just a few miles off, but they're looking at this. I think they went logically to the right place. They're going to go to the palace. They're going to go to the palace. Where's the king of the Jews? He's thinking of a palace. Yet Jesus was born in a lowly stable. I think that's interesting. You look at the, the comparisons that are here. and say, we have come to worship him. But the star is of significance. Why? Because in the book of Numbers chapter 24, the Bible tells us there's a prophecy there that there will arise a star out of Jacob. And so that star would guide them to the star, the Christ star, if you will, to Christ. So again, let's join the wise men to worship the king. That was their desire. That's the invitation of worship. We're here to see the king. We're invited to behold the king. Where is he? But now there's a test of worship. What do we mean by a test of worship? In other words, who are we worshiping this Christmas season? We have presents under the tree. You have Christmas decorations out, sing Christmas songs that are dedicated this, this time. But who are you worshiping during this Christmas season? That's a good question. We come together, family and friends around the dinner table, have a nice dinner tomorrow, hopefully, or even tonight, depending on your tradition. In our family, we did both. We came together Christmas Eve to open the presents and have finger foods. And the next day we opened up our stockings and had a big Christmas dinner. That's how we did it, okay? My wife says, no, we're doing everything tomorrow, okay? Right? She says, yes. (laughs) It's going to be a long ride home. (laughs) I love my wife. No, it's all good. It's all good. All right. But whatever your tradition is, let me ask you this. What are you celebrating? Seriously, I want you to think about that for a second. What are you really celebrating this Christmas season? And I invite you again to join the wise men to worship the king. There's a test of worship going on. First of all, we find a troubling situation. When Herod heard that word, it says in verse 3, Herod heard these things. He was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. I want you to know this, that this idea that we have, it really shook him up and shook up the city. This was something very different, that these wise men came. By the way, I got to go back to the wise men. We traditionally say we three kings because of the three gifts. That's we, but we don't know how many wise men there were and probably had an entourage with them. It probably was a, an or, ordeal that, they, they, um, that they, they brought with them. So nonetheless, this was a troubling situation. This was competition. And so now that they're examining the object of worship, look with me in verse 4. And when he, Herod, had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. So I said, okay, let's get to the bottom of this. He was uh, looking into it. Was uh, Herod sincere in what he was doing, though? Shake your head, no. Okay, he was not. But this is what the scribes and the chief priests said. This is the religious. It says that, and they said unto him, Of Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the princes of Judah. 
for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. So the chief priests and the scribes, they come together and they tell Herod, well, there, there is a prophecy mentioned and it's found in the book of Micah. Micah was a prophet that lived about 700 years before this event took place. And Micah, in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, it, it mentions this, that the Messiah, this ruler, this king that they're looking for is going to be born in Bethlehem, in Bethlehem of Judea. And that's where they need to go. And so for the wise men, that helped them out a lot. Oh, now we know where we need to go. And so it's interesting, though. You look at the, the um, let's look one more time in verse 7 now. And Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, now he brings the wise men in. He inquired of them what time the star appeared. So when did you start seeing the sign? When did you start seeing the star that you're talking about? And um, they, they actually didn't give an answer that I think that's interesting. But nonetheless, in verse 8, and then he sent them to Bethlehem, said, go search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring him word that I may come and worship him also. So I find it interesting that he sends the wise men out, but he doesn't send anyone with them. He just kind of sends them on and hopefully they'll, they'll come back with that answer. But nonetheless, we have three responses to Jesus. This is what I want us to focus on right now. There are three responses of Jesus. First of all, you have Herod. Herod's goal, and we know that at the end of Matthew 2, when he finds out that the, Herod, that the wise men, they went another way, what does he do? He sends soldiers to Bethlehem to kill all the baby boys two years and under. Be honest with you, that's the part of the Christmas story that we kind of gloss over. We really don't talk about it much, but it was a cruel event uh, that happened there. So Herod, his response to the news of Jesus was hostility. He was hostile to this news of worshiping the king. Also, we have this, the priests and the scribes, the religious. And yes, they, according to them, they knew the prophecy. They knew the truth about the, the Christ child that was to be born. But what was their reaction? They took no action. They were indifferent. Even when in Luke 2, when the angels came to the shepherds that night, they, they didn't go to the religious leaders. They went to the lowly shepherds in the fields at that time. But I guarantee you, the, the, the religious people probably knew about it. Why, why do I say that? Because the shepherds, they made known abroad the saying that was told them concerning this child. And by it's interesting that the shepherds in the fields of Bethlehem, by tradition, it's believed that these shepherds were the keepers over the flock of sheep that were used for the sacrificial system in the temple. So they had connections to the temple. They had connections to the religious leaders. That's my point. So the, the scribes and the Pharisees, they knew about this. Their reaction, they were indifferent. They're like, oh, okay, maybe, maybe not. They're not going to get bothered in that. And part of it was, it would have upset their situation. It would have upset their leadership. That's the difference. Then you have a third party in their response to Jesus, and that was the wise men. What did the wise men do? It says this in verse 9. And when they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And so the wise men, their reaction was simply this. They sought Jesus and worshiped him. I believe that there's three types of people this Christmas season as you approach the Christmas story. When it comes to Jesus, you cannot be neutral about him. Either you're going to be hostile, and there is a group there that they are hostile to Jesus. They are hostile to the, the Bible. They are hostile to God's truth. Okay, that, that's, that's for sure. There's also a group of people, and I think this is the largest group, they're like the priests and they're like the chief, uh, that, that, they're like the scribes. They're really indifferent. They're like, well, 
If it's good for you, that's fine, but don't bother me with that information. They just want to keep going in their lives as is. They really don't want to be changed by the Christmas truth. So that's what we're presented with today. Okay? We become indifferent. The world is indifferent. But I pray that each and every one of us would be more like the wise men. When they, if they heard the news that they went, and they sought Jesus and they worshiped him. My challenge is to you to be like the wise men, to join the wise men and worship the king. Well, we know the end of the story. The wise men come and they find baby Jesus. Okay? And now we have the joy of worship. The joy of worship, starting in verse 9. Uh, we read that already when they had heard the king that departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them until it came and stood over where the young child was. One thing I want to say about the star is this. We Again, we don't know exactly what it was, but one thing we do know is that they saw it themselves, and we have no record of anyone else seeing it. Herod didn't see it. The, the, the priest didn't see it. At least they didn't acknowledge it, if nothing else. But one thing is interesting. It led them exactly where God wanted them to go, Okay. So it, it almost reminds us of, remember back in the wilderness when the children of Israel were out of Egypt after the Passover. Uh, think of the Ten Commandments story, Charlton Heston, okay? They left Egypt and now they wander the wilderness till they get to Sinai. What led the children of Israel throughout the wilderness? The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. God led them in the way. And here we have in a very similar way, through the star at least, God guiding these wise men to the very desired place he wanted them. So here's the thing. They come and it says in verse 10 that when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. They were thrilled. So here's the point about worship. True worship always leads us to Jesus. It always points us to Jesus. Also, true worship always brings us joy. If you're wondering how your worship is, is it leading you to Jesus Christ? Is it bringing you joy? And then the thirdly, true worship always compels us to honor him, to honor Jesus. How do we mean by that? It says here in verse 11, And when they were come into the house, and here's a key point, this is why the wise men came a lot later, because they're no longer in the stable. He's no longer in the manger, okay? When they came to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshiped him, okay? And here it says young child, not babe anymore. So here's a couple clues that the wise men came a little later. But nonetheless, what did they do? They came with a young child and Mary's mother fell down and worshipped him. One thing I want to point out here is, here's, this is very, very interesting. We kind of miss it in American culture today. But look at who is introduced when the wise men come into the house. First is the young child. And then Mary's mother. There's no mention of Joseph here. Doesn't mean he wasn't there. Maybe he's all working. We don't know. Okay. But nonetheless, in, in Oriental times, in this time period, you would always introduce the oldest of the family first and then all the way down. So the, the children of the house, they would be introduced last. But here we have the, the child being introduced first. This tells us there is something special about this child. And then it was Mary's mother. And what they do? They fall down. They worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. There's been a lot of uh, thought about what these gifts that are represented. I have here, again, the gold, again, the frankincense and myrrh that is right here as well. And uh, there's been a lot of debate on exactly what these mean. But according to even uh, ancient church fathers, the, other, the idea is this, that the gold represents 
uh, the kingship of Jesus, his royalty. Jesus came from the royal line of David, and he will come again, and he will rule and reign. You remember what we read in, in uh, or you, you probably heard it, nothing else, in song, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a, a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We see that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, will rule and reign on the throne of David. This is a fact. The, the royalty is his. That's why he's given gold. The next we have frankincense. This represents his divinity, his priestly service, and really his purity. As the priest would offer incense in the temple, even so Christ is our intercessor for us. The myrrh that we have here is representing his humanity. It was often used, myrrh was often used as an ointment for burial customs. Uh, as well. And this re represents that the humanity of Jesus, that Jesus was God in the flesh. He was man, very man, and God, very God. Jesus is God in the flesh, his humanity. And in this, we see his role more so as a prophet. So in this, in the three gifts, we see Jesus presented as prophet, priest, and king. Jesus is the fulfillment of this messianic prophecy. Jesus came to change lives, and he fits every role within that. Here's the point of the matter is this. Jesus is worthy to receive riches. Be honest with you, when you come to a baby shower, ladies, you like the baby showers. How many of you brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh last time we were at a baby shower? You probably didn't see it either, right? The idea is this. It was not really given to, it was given to Jesus per se. And why was it given to Jesus? Did, did babies or little children have use for these things? Not really. If anything, you want to keep them on the top shelf, right? if you have little ones. But nonetheless, Jesus was given these gifts really not so much as a gift to use, but as a gift to honor him as a king because he was worthy of that. So this is important as we see this. Jesus Christ came to this world to live and to die for each and every one of us, but he's coming, came as king of our hearts. He, that's the purpose, came, came to be a king of our heart. So here's the point. I'm going to give you a quote by Charles Spurgeon. That there is infinite power even in an infant Savior. There's infinite power even in an infant Savior. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. He came to die for you. Jesus was born to die. He came to die on that old rugged cross for each and every one of us. Spurgeon also goes on to say, Like the wise men, those who look for Jesus will see him. Those who truly see him will worship him. Those who worship him will consecrate their substances to what they have to him. In other words, if you really follow Jesus, you will give of yourself to him. You will honor the Christ child. And I pray that during this Christmas season as well, that each and every one of us will see him, we will worship him, and then we will give whatever we have towards him, towards the service, to honor him in that. There's a professor friend of mine who said this concerning the wise men. He says, may our worship authenticate or tell the truth that Jesus is our Lord. What you worship reveals who is really the king of your heart. What you worship or who you worship really reveals the king of your heart. Who is on the throne of your heart? The wise men, they surrender themselves. They fell down and they worshiped him. The worship is the deepest exercise of our soul. I call on you, all of us, to worship the king of the Jews. This is the message of the wise men today. With that in mind, remember Herod had told them to uh, 
come back after you've seen the child. Come back to me and give a report. I, I want to go worship him also. Of course, we know Herod had other plans. But it says here in, in uh, Matthew 2, verse 12, And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. So they snuck off somewhere back to Arabia or Persia or Babylon, wherever they may be, never hear from them again. But it's interesting that their worship led to one thing. Here's the thing. How do you know that you're really worshiping God? Because you follow him in obedience. As you see here in verse 12, what happens? They were warned of God in a dream, and then they departed. In other words, they obeyed the voice of the Lord. So here's the thing. As we worship the Lord today, at this Christmas, I encourage you to obey him. If you, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. This is what we should do as well. Okay? So I want to close this Christmas message by simply saying this. Jesus came to this world as king, and they honor him as such. But like we said, there's three groups of people, how they identify. Either they're hostile to Jesus, you're indifferent, which is most people, or you will come and worship him as the wise men did. How do we worship Jesus, the Messiah? It's by understanding this, that each and every one of us, that first of all, that God is holy. He's perfect. He lives in heaven and that our sin separates us from him. Each and every one of us are born with sin. There's nothing that you and I can do to merit our way to get favor of God. Nothing you can do or I can do to forgive your sins. Only Jesus can do it. And that's why God sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, who we celebrate this Christmas season. He came and he lived a perfect life. He did miracles, did a lot of teaching, showing his power. But he lived a perfect life and they put him on the cross. He voluntarily gave up his life for you and for me. He died, he was buried, and he rose again for our sins. Praise God for that. Jesus is now ascended to heaven, but he calls the message as this, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I don't know about you, and I don't know your heart today, but I know God does. God sees everything. He sees your heart, and he sees who's really on your throne of your heart. Will you come and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior today for the forgiveness of your sins? And when you have that settled in your heart, what joy, what peace, and what goodwill toward men you receive by knowing the babe in the manger is Christ the Lord. If you're here today and you're not sure of where you would spend eternity, the Bible gives us the answer. The Bible gives us the truth that there's none other name given among men under heaven, given among men, where must we must be saved is Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man or woman or child comes to the Father but by me. The only way to get to God is through Jesus Christ. Folks, don't put it off today. We are not guaranteed another moment. We're not guaranteed another Christmas. But we are guaranteed the truth and the peace that comes through Jesus Christ. Will you trust him today? Will you believe on him? Will you be saved? If you have any questions about that, feel free to talk to me after the service. I'd be glad to show you from God's true word of the Bible how you can know that and be settled. And that'll be the greatest Christmas present of all. For us that are saved, cherish this truth. And don't be hostile. Don't be indifferent. But like the wise men, let's join him and worship the king.